Hello and welcome to the Canadian Wargamer Podcast. Yes, it's the Canadian Wargamer podcast featuring two affable and youngish granddads, Mike and James, talking about primarily miniature wargames and the occasional hex and counter excursion from Mike from our unique perspective in the Great White North. And as the strains of La Foy d'Arabla die away, here are your hosts, Mike and James. Hey, folks. Hey, how are you? (laughs) Hey, Matt. So after a long, long uh, silence, the Canadian Wargamer podcast is back on the air. And by Canadian Woo! Wargamer podcast, we mean two of the uh, sexiest grandfathers in the Canadian Wargaming hobby. James, how are you? I am all right, eh? <laughs> it's beauty. Beauty, eh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm doing okay today. You know what? That sometimes uh, doing okay, okay today is um, is all you can ask for, and I, I would. That's have to right. Say, it's just one. Exactly. It, it's one day at a time, and some days you're not okay, and that's that's okay too. And it's okay to say you're not okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm okay. You're not so hot. <laughs> that's right. That was that book in the library when we were in high school, right? <laughs> I'm okay. You're okay. Exactly. Yeah. So this is technically, for those of you who are keeping score, it's episode 19 of our little hey, podcast. Hey. Yay. And it's October. It is, uh, it's after Canadian Thanksgiving. It's uh, getting darker and darker outside earlier and earlier. Uh, it feels like the whole um, last bit of the summer just kind of went by since you and I have last spoken. Well, that's because it did. It did. Exactly. Time has a way of fugiting, as they say. Tempest yes. Fugates. Yes. Tempest Fugates. Tempest it's Fugates right out the door. <laughs> and it just Fugates off. It Fugated off. And exactly. and you're going, Fugate? What what the Fugate, man? What the Fugate? Exactly. Yeah. Right. Where where did my summer go? You know, we're just and we're just like getting back into the groove of after you know two years of nothing happening. Yeah. Exactly. You know, except except for an awful lot of painting. An awful lot of painting. Um, now, one of the things that I thought we would talk about tonight, because we don't have a guest, um, is just um, picking yourself up after a um, after taking a break from the hobby. And I'm I'm going to say that really applies to me tonight because you have been uh, super productive in the last it's six weeks. Sl- it's slowing down. Yeah, you know, I'm not banging out a battalion of Prussians in a day anymore. No, no, you were like, yeah, you were, you were Mr. Prussia, and then you became like Mr. Middle Earth. I needed to break from from Shakos, yeah. and I just like you know after I got to, I mean I I pretty much have a nice Prussian brigade now. Mm-hmm. I've got um, six battalions of line infantry, battalion of grenadiers, couple of landwehr, and a reserve battalion. Um, I mean, we need some more bits, and I've got more bits in the box ready. I think I got like three, three or four more battalions. 
um, I just said, you know, I I want to just paint something Middle Earthy and get back into that a little bit. And the 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 second edition of Lion Rampant showing up kind of, you know, got that exciting. Oh yeah, I want to hear all about that tonight. Um, but that was really uh, that was our first love, wasn't it? Really, you and I. I mean, that was almost one of our first projects was um, Middle Earth together. Yeah. 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 And. Um, you know, at some point tonight, uh, we could maybe uh, talk about um, uh, whether or not the Amazon Prime series has fueled uh, any inspiration. I confess I'm now, I think I've watched four episodes of mm -hmm. The Rings of Power, and it made me find the box in which, uh, because I'm, I've been moving for the last month, that's part of the hobby funk for me. That'll do it. I found the box where uh, my copy of The Silmarillion was uh, deposited. Mm -hmm. so, um, I think what I'm going to do is get a few more episodes into the series, and then I'm going to start reading the Silmarillion and see, um, you know, see what what's different and what I remember. But yeah, I've I've read a few. I've written a few blog posts on my reactions to Rings of Power. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I'm 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 trying to, you know okay, this media just isn't for me, right? Mm. And, and, you know, people are like, ah, why the hate? And it's like, well, but, you know, like, for me, Middle Earth has been this massive um, spiritual touchstone for me. Mm -hmm. And, like, it's, it's, it's my comfort blanket. Like, when I start getting really down in the dumps, I'm, boom, back to Middle Earth. I'm reading the Silmarillion. I'm reading Lord of the Rings. Mm -hmm. Um and you know so for it to be treated so offhandedly like the ser like the rings of power series um bothers me you know if if it weren't set in middle earth if it wasn't lord of the rings rings of power if it was just somewhere else you know fantasy land and it'd be like, oh, okay, it's a nice Tolkien ripoff, eh, da, 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 whatever, you know, cool. You mean um, like a like a Robert Jordan sort of Shannara kind of thing? Yes. Not that I read Shannara because I was like, oh, God, this is such a Tolkien ripoff. Uh, but I was younger then, mm -hmm. and, you know. Um, but I, I, I don't, I have to confess, I don't really like a lot of fantasy. Mm. I don't like a lot of swords and sorcery stuff because... I like Middle Earth. Middle Earth is so well thought through. Mm -hmm. And that's what I like about it. Mm -hmm. Whereas a lot of fantasy worlds aren't terribly well thought through. And I'm screaming at the author. You know, it's like, you got that wrong. That's not the way that works. Right. Think about it, buddy. Mm -hmm. You know, and I'm not even talking, you know, like not, not things like dragons and trolls. Cause you know, it's not like I've seen a dragon or a troll. Um, but, you know, like metallurgy or agriculture or, you know, if we have these huge, powerful wizards, how come there's still a fucking king in the run in the place? You know, why aren't these wizards? You know, and that's why I like, you know, the Glenn Cook Black Company series, at least for the first six books. After that, he just started stretching it out because he's making a lot of money with became cash cow. But for the first six, they were really interesting, mm -hmm. really good prose. Like just the way he described things and set the tone and the mood with a battle or campaign or, or whatever. 
was just like, wow, you know, you've just grabbed my creative lobes and massaged them with your wordsmithery there, writer guy. And, and it was an interesting world too. Um, but yeah, there's, it's just like, oh, go away, you know? So, you know, anyway, um, yeah, I just, I don't like Galadriel the way she's portrayed. Mm. You know, it's because, you know, there, there's, there's, I was initially hope like I, I, I was cautiously optimistic about this series and, you know, because there's so much vague, vague stuff on the fringes of the story, because that's, you know, part of Tolkien's genius is he can um, hint at things, you know, he can hint at stuff and you go, wow, there's a lot more behind that. I know people accuse him of being long-winded and I'm going to give a three, you know, a three page exposition on the origins of this magic sword, but he doesn't do that actually, you know, unless it's a council and, you know, they're talking about important stuff, but he, most of the time it's like, you know, they're trudging, you know, uh, Bilbo and, and the dwarves are trudging through the wilderness and they're seeing ruins of castles on hills. Mm-hmm. You know? Or when Tom Bombadil and the Barrow Downs talking to Frodo about, you know, these ruins and the kingdoms and the petty kings that used to be there, just very, very vaguely and very gently. You know, so there's all kinds of cool stuff that's sort of vaguely hinted at that they could have dealt with. You know, like the Harfoots loved them. They were great. Yeah. You know, except for the cheesy comic opera Irish accents. But, you know, the semi-nomadic people hiding from the men, that's actually canon, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, we have Galadriel t- jumping off a ship to Valinor and trying to swim back to Middle-earth. It's like, what the God? No, that's just so. And then we spend the next episode with her sitting on a raft in the middle of the ocean. It's like, oh, geez. <laughs> How much time have you guys got to wait? Like, is this a 22 episode series, like an old? brought you know network uh series is where that, that was the length of a season no it's like an eight episode streaming series you don't have an episode to have a major character sitting on a raft like that is stupid it is bad writing and it is bullshit yeah or sitting and a, and, sitting and their whole the their whole relationship of the elves to the valar and to the men is wrong as far as tolkien and middle earth go it is just mm-hmm. wrong. I fight me. Mm. Write it in the comments, people. I don't fucking care. It is wrong. <laughs> now, if you're enjoying the show, good on you. That's great. Yeah. But what I, what really bothers me is that I'm afraid that this is going to kind of invade the fan space, mm-hmm. and you know, people will start referring to the show instead of referring to the books. Yeah, yeah. It's like, okay, if you want to talk about the show, then fine, refer to the show. But if we're going to talk about J.R.R. Tolkien and his themes and his creative vision, then don't don't bring that stupid show into it. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Don't like even though Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings movies, the extended cut is good and I find very rewatchable, even though it did take some liberties, I've forgiven him. Um don't bring that into a discussion of Tolkien and his themes because that's Peter Jackson's interpretation. 
of mm-hmm. Tolkien's themes. Yeah. Right. So the I'm sorry. The scouring of the Shire is very thematically important for the for the character development of the hobbits, and it's very important for Tolkien's um, themes about war. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, my, I, I think you're spot on, mate. Um, I wouldn't disagree with anything you said. Uh, and you know the Silmarillion much more canonically than I do. My sense is that um, Jackson, uh, at least for the first, for the Lord of the Rings movies, was motivated by a respect for the original work. I think that, yes. that, that all went out the window with the Hobbit trilogy. Well, and... You know, at first I was really angry at Jackson for that steaming pile of effluent that is the Hobbit movies. Yeah. But then I heard that he act- they actually put a gun to his head mm-hmm. because um, the Spanish director who was originally going to do it bailed. Guillermo de Toros, was that him? Yes. Yeah. I heard that he was going to do the Hobbit. And I was thinking, oh, this will be neat. Yes, he would have done a great job. With right? It. Because, you know, Labyrinth is a cool movie. Yes. Yeah. And um, the, what was that one he did about water, this, The Shape of Water? Oh, I don't know. That was a great film. Yeah. Um, he would have done it justice. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. for, for whatever reason, probably, probably because he's like, we can't make a trilogy out of this. You're idiots. Um, he bailed. Yeah. And so they basically went to Jackson and said, make these movies, make it a trilogy, or we will blacklist you and you will never work again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, he was just phoning it in. Yeah, yeah, you know, and it was just it was just a shit show. So, you know, I've kind of gotten over that and forgiven him for it, and I just won't ever watch those movies because, like, I watched all three because, and it was like, ugh, you know, and and I would give them a a two out of five. That's generous, right? Well, this is this is actually it's a rating we came up with at work. One is. This was horrible and I couldn't finish it. Mm-hmm. Two was this was bad and I will never watch it again and I feel like I wasted my time. Three was, eh, it was okay. I won't watch it again. Four is, it was good. I'll watch it again. Five is, I love it and I'm going to buy the DVD and I'll watch it regularly, mm-hmm. right? So because I actually finished the Hobbit movies, there were two. You know, I didn't walk out. You know, whereas Rings of Power is a one because I bailed on episode four. I just said, nah, I, you know what? I just can't, can't be bothered investing in this shouty Galadriel who's browbeating everybody into doing, doing what she wants instead of being Galadriel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, just to finish my, my little thought earlier, I think the difference between the Jackson films and the Rings of Power is that, uh, first of all, 20 years has gone by. Yes. And in that 20 years, we had uh, the rise of the streaming services, and then we had the whole Game of Thrones phenomenon. Yep. And so somebody at Amazon said, oh, there's going to be a a Game of Thrones prequel. We better do a Lord of the Rings prequel. Yeah. Yeah. And and we now have a whole generation of, of people in the Tolkien fandom who, you know, they haven't even read the books. Yeah, exactly. Which is frightening. Yeah. I mean... The original Lord of the Rings, probably even our our generation is, you know, probably closer to World War II than to the present, right? In, in that sense yeah. of two generations have 
maybe three generations have grown up. But I mean, I, you and I call ourselves the Airfix generation. I also, I refer to myself as the Gary Gijax generation. Mm -hmm. I grew up with Dungeons and Dragons. You probably played it in high school, I'm guessing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So you, you couldn't, I don't think, appreciate Dungeons and Dragons as a teenager in the 1970s if you haven't read The Lord of the Rings. Yeah. But, you know, it also, I mean, D&D &D is kind, kind of this horrible, um, you know, Conan, Elric of Mel and the Bone and yes. Middle Earth yeah. mashup. Yeah, there were, there were other canonical sources to be sure. Yeah. Excuse me. And I, I, I waded through all the Conan books because a friend in high school had them and he made <laughs> that. Bless you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, he Keep made on. me read them and wow, like they yeah. get repetitive. It's funny because I, I know people who swear by those books, right? And the, the same with the John Carter of Mars books. But anyway. Again, um, great visuals. Like I love seeing graph, you know, I love seeing artists' portrayals of the Barsoom mm -hmm. universe. It's like, well, you know, and large, large chested Martian princesses wearing nothing but a smile is always, always interesting, at yeah. least to me, because I'm a dirty old man. Okay. Um, but like I read John Carter Mars I was, I was kind of toying with, oh, you know, maybe sort of a Barsoom miniatures game would be cool, you know, that'd be fun. And of course, it's hard, it's a bugger hard to find miniatures for it that aren't like cut off your arm expensive. Maybe with STLs, that'll change. But, you know, I, I so I, first, I read the first one and it was like, oh my God, this is terrible. <laughs> this, is just, this is a bad book. Like, it's a terrible prose. And, you know, like, it'd be turgid description about something. And then we get to, an, you know, an action scene where something's happening and you'll just race through it. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like, oh, really? Wow. Yeah. But, you know, he's writing like 200 years ago, 150 years ago. So. Yeah. So I, I think what's happened is, you know, the, the the generation of fandom that is coming to Lord of the Rings now, you're right, that experience has been primarily mediated by films. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, um, you know, the, the whole debates within online fandom about uh, the political correctness or the wokeness of the Amazon series, um, I just find that incredibly depressing, right? Yes. Yes. And the fact that if you say, I don't like the series, but, well, you're a racist. It's like, it's like actually Dissa and Lenny Henry as the leader of the Harfoots was one of the best parts. If it had more of him, I would have kept watching longer. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, you know, I, and I think they missed a diversity point by not giving Dissa a beard. Mm. which mm. would be canonical mm -hmm. if dwarves beards yeah. i dug into it and yes tolkien felt that dwarvish women had beards but anyway um yeah like on the on the um middle earth uh miniature war or wargaming in middle earth facebook group that i'm an admin on um our head admin he's complaining about how somebody somebody complained to him that they didn't like books based on movies when talking about you know and we're talking about lord of the Rings. he's talking about lord of the rings with them he said oh i don't read book i don't read novelizations of movies what? Like, i like my head is so sore from the face bombs <laughs> over that 
Like, <laughs> that's just so, so like gobsmackingly. Um, I, I can't even begin to process that. Right? Yeah. I thought he was talking about like online fan fiction. He's talking about Tolkien. Yeah. 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 With the Lord of the Rings movies. Yes. Yeah. I don't like the novelizations in movies. So Peter Jackson hired Tolkien to write the, the, the book. Yes, that must be it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And it. and and yeah. And Peter Jackson has invented time travel, so Tolkien could start it um in his hospital bed in the first world war. Yeah, yeah. You know. Got so it. yeah. Yeah, I I find um, you know, the the rings of power that I watch, I was totally um fine with black elves, black dwarves. Yeah. You know, and, whatever yeah and in some ways it was um you know i think a little bit more refreshing than um like for example the Orlando bloom yeah well like the jackson films right like all of the all of the like to do the uh, two towers part he hired um you know maoris to play the the urukai right mm. big strapping black guys and then made painted them red and all the all the elves were, you know, like white and blonde haired. And I thought, well, you know, that's that's kind of hearkening back to the cultural world that Tolkien came out of, right? Yes. You know, so I'm I'm okay to let that go. I'm fine with that. Yeah. Um, and actually, you know, like if there's more time with Andor, the um, elf running around, you know, and he gets captured. Yeah. Uh, he, he, his bits were okay. Yeah. Yeah. Although when that, that those villagers like you know they say ah you know, we must flee the village, um, I'm thinking, you know, and then the, the 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 kid goes back and steals some you know they they recover some food, and there's like livestock and it's like why didn't you bring your livestock with you? <laughs> yeah. This is this is a major part of your wealth and yes. it's on legs. Yeah, exactly. Just drive them ahead of you. That's right. That's yeah. what children are for: is to herd the livestock. Take the sheep, take the goats. Yeah, exactly. yeah. You don't leave them behind for the orcs to eat. Yeah, yeah. So it's just like, okay, that was a that was a boner that kind of pissed me off. Yeah. And why is everybody standing in the boats? Did you notice that? Standing in the boats when Galadriel's on the on the ship to Valinor, all oh, the yeah. others they're they're standing for the entire voyage. You're standing. Yeah. And, like where do, and then where do these chicks in the wedding dresses come from? I know it, it was kind of like first class, sort of like there were flight attendants. Yeah. But there were no nice seats. So and then and then and then when she's on the you know like the the little rowboat the boat bringing them into Numenor, I thought the portrayal of Numenor was really neat. Yeah. I liked that. Yeah, it was beautiful. Um, but you know, again, they're standing in the boat. Like <laughs> wow, elves have some impressive sea legs. They do. Yeah, apparently. You know. Like, what is this with all the standing in the boat and, and not taking your livestock? So there's too many dumb things were bugging me, which, you know, is the bad writing. Yeah. The bad directing. Yeah. So, but anyway, enough. I, you, you know, you if you let, if, if, if you in Radio Land are enjoying it, good on you. <laughs> but go read the books. They're way better. I think so. Yeah. So let's, let's try to bring it back to Wargaming. Um, yes. What do you think? Uh, is there going to be any impact? I mean, uh, from the Rings of Power in terms of um, yeah. Middle Earth themed gaming? Oh, there will be. 
Um, we already had a bit of a discussion on the on the Facebook group. Somebody saying, ah, is anybody playing in the Rings of Power era? Which some people were gently sort of, well, if you mean second age, yes, a lot of us play in the second age because it's mm-hmm. you know, kind of wide open. Mm-hmm. Um, and then another person was a little more harsh about, you know, it's not the Rings of Power. That's stupid. Don't be stupid. Mm-hmm. So we very quickly cut off comments on that thread but i know if if games workshop gets the license or if you know wizards of the coast get the license then we will see a rings of power miniatures game yeah yeah i i haven't been following games workshop for some time but i i got the sense in the last two years that they were they were trying to breathe some life back into um the tolkien stuff although they they called it the hobbit strategy battle game and they keep they, they keep rebranding it first it was a middle earth strategy battle game and the hobbit strategy battle game um i don't know yeah, yeah. like it's tolkien licensed figures in their skirmishy game and you know, cool some of the stuff's kind of cool your your rover rim are very pretty mm-hmm. very yes. expensive but very pretty yes yeah some of the orcs I don't mind. Some of the orcs I'm like, eh, they kind of. Uh, yeah, when they first launched the line, you know, of course they slavishly followed the movies, so they had a a box set of um, Warriors of the First Age, I think they called it, right? So, mm. um, which was like from the first ten minutes of the first Peter Jackson Lord of the Rings film, right? Um, and they did have some metal castings for characters like uh, Gil Galad and so forth but i'll be i would be curious to see if they revisit that at all um but we'll i know i imagine lawyers are looking at it yeah right yeah. you know can we do this so yeah well we'll have to follow that with interest and you know as you've demonstrated over the last few years there's like a gazillion options tell me about that dwarf army you bought oh well okay um I may or may not have been suffering from the after effects of a 16 hour headache mm-hmm. and two leaves plus four hours sleep the night before. It's a fatal combination. Um, when I may or may not have purchased an army of dwarves from Con- from conqueror models. Mm-hmm. Um, I won't be taking any more questions at this time. Thank okay. you. All That's right. my press release. Uh, yeah, I, I, I've been I've been kicking the tires on these guys for years, literally. I've been looking at them and you know what, and then they added a bunch of stuff. So I was like, ooh, okay, good thing I didn't order yet. So I've been kind of wait. You know, part of me has been sort of waiting to see if they would add any more. You know, like you know, siege engine crews or casualties or something cool like that. But it's been a few years and they haven't, so I don't think they will. Um, and then you know, Scott giving me a couple of napoleonic armies it's like well you know i have other things to paint you know mm-hmm. and i jumped on a few quick little projects like my uh world war ii air and world war ii naval um so it just kept getting pushed to the back because this would be a major investment in lead mm-hmm. and finally with you know with the pound dropping and then starting to bounce back up i thought you know what i better just jump on this and you know it's starting to hear about you know smaller british companies saying ah you know our electric bill is going to like triple 
Oh, I, I we think can't, we can't afford to keep the lights on or run our crucible or whatever. We just can't stay in operation. So we're going to, we're going to close the doors. And I didn't, you know, I didn't, I didn't want to see these models disappear into the, in, into the wilderness um, without getting some. Mm-hmm. So I you know, initially had like a $250 order or 260. And I was like, Ooh, I better cut that back. Um I mean, Elizabeth and I kind of have a threshold of, you know, where it's around 200 more than that really need to talk about it as a couple. Right. You know, so I, I chopped a few things off and got it under 200 and then, you know what, I'm just going to buy it, leave a little note in the checkbook. So she isn't surprised. <laughs> and then she said, so what's this PayPal about? And I was like, things reasons and he says fine i i i offered to just give her the when it arrived just give her the box and say wrap this up and give it to me for christmas she said, no it's okay yeah well it so i'm looking at the conqueror models website now i, I see they have uh they are very sexy dwarves, um, monsters. They're, yeah they're, they're sculpted by colin Patton. yep the same guy that did the vendel dwarves that i already have Oh yeah, yeah. So they would fit in nicely. Yes, yeah, so they will fit in, but and you can see where you know, like the Vendel stuff. It you know the posing is very wooden. Yes. Right. I mean, he's got the details. He's got the 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 equipment and everything is great, but the just the animation of the pose. Whereas mm-hmm. the Conqueror models, the animation of the figure, like you know, like the um, guys with the two handed axes and war hammers, just like wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so there you go. Very cool. Bought myself a couple of shield walls. <laughs> yeah. Well, so you know, cool. it's, it's it's the 32 pack of Spearman. Um, I was going to go, oh, I'll just get the 16 pack and get some other stuff. But, you know, there's a bit of a, like the, the gives a, a discount. And the discount is, the discount per figure is doubled if you buy the 32 two pack. So I thought, well, instead of buying 16 now and going back and getting 16 later, yeah, I'll just get all thirty-two now, and then next year I'll go back and get my guys with war hammers and two hand because I already have guys with two-handed axes. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, you, yeah you, you already have a substantial dwarven army. Uh, I I wouldn't call twenty-six figures substantial. No, they just seem substantial because they kick ass. They do. Yeah, they are mean little orc killing machines. And orcs need killing, absolutely. That's right. Yeah. So. So the plan would be to play them with Oathmark or Dragon Rampant or Oh Dragon Rampant. Yeah, yeah. I they I I planned it out in multiples of twelve. Mm-hmm. It's gonna be like four 12 figure um shield wall units with spears. Mm-hmm. And you know, command figures and I might I might end up with a couple of extras for champions or something, but oh, and they have a very, very nice um he's got a very nice pack of royal guard with cloaks and helmets with the face masks oh yes yeah yeah and so i bought i also got the king with the standard bearer so that's going to be a nice little six figure elite unit yeah yeah for sure um i'm just looking at them now they're uh... yeah pretty sexy i i got extra i got i don't like the weird shields on the um on the royal guard so i got round shields to put on them Mm -hmm. That is, a, that is a bugbear of mine with fantasy figures is weird-ass shields. 
I hate weird shields. Like there's a reason why shields are round or oval or teardropped. Yeah. Right. Looking at one here has got kind of like a, it's almost like a, a Roman scutum, except it's not quite some more of an oblong. Yeah. It's just a weird, it's a, it's a strange shape. So I'm going to replace, I'm going to replace those with, with, with a, with a pack of round shields. I bought. There you go. Yeah. No, they look great. And I like the, um, I like that kind of like dragon banner that one of them is holding. It looks very good. Mm, the Draco. Yeah. Draco, yeah. Which isn't, I, I kind of, uh, since we're talking about Middle Earth, let me show yeah. you my writings, Rohan. Yes. Uh, I've been watching the Twitter pictures with uh, great interest. Yes. So I uh, decided to jump into, um, I had two boxes of the uh, Gripping Beast Goth uh, nobles. Mm -hmm. And so I, um, yeah, here we go. Hold them up to the camera. Very nice. So yeah. I... Uh, Put the second box together and this guy I, I i just like the way i got his his arm pose so i figured you know what he's going to be my overall commander mm -hmm. and this six figures is going to be because they're in units of six right it's going to be his personal retainers his comitatus um so they're all very spiffy on you know gray horses so oh, yeah oh. you know that's how i did them um, and I, I gave, you know, they, they also have the Draco band uh, standard in the set. Mm -hmm. So I, I gave him one just to mark his position on the battlefield because even though Tolkien doesn't mention them, um, I think if Tolkien knew, you know, they were, they were a thing with the goths, he would say, hey, that's pretty cool. You know, and they were a thing with the Goths, and these guys are double dutying as Goths when fighting my my mid Middle Empire Romans. Yeah, yeah. Tolkien borrowed pretty omnivorously, so why why not? Yeah, and and he was very you know like um he was very vague on on a lot of the details mm -hmm. because he's a he's a writer and a poet first, not a you know not a military historian or writer of war games rules. No, no. So, but the other edition of my Riders of Rohan are the, um, I got myself a box of the Oathmark Human Cavalry. Yes, yeah. Okay. Um, and you can see, there's like 15, 15 in a box. And at first I thought the horse poses were kind of weird, but I've gotten used to them. Mm -hmm. um, and... You can do all 15 with bows or all 15 with hand weapons. Like Lance, most, you can do all 15, probably about 12 out of the 15 with, with lances and then, you know, a couple axes and swords. Mm -hmm. um, and there's lots of heads. So you can do, you know, all helmets, all hoods, all like bare heads. So that was nice. So these are my... Um, less well off riders of Rohan who can't afford armor and, you know, act as scouts and flank guards and stuff. Yeah. They'd be your, your, I don't know, what would you call them? Your third or yeah. sort of bondsmen maybe, or something like that. Uh, well, I figure those are, but those are my chappies um, on foot. Okay. Those are the guys who they, they don't know nothing, you know, they're, they're hurting, they're hurting their Lord's pigs or, 
you know, mucking out the stables or whatever. Um, yeah. You know, I, I think these guys actually, these guys actually have some property. They can arrive at the muster with a horse and, and bow at least. Yeah. 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 I, I suspect, you know, I don't, I'm sure Tolkien, he wouldn't have seen it as a feudal society, but he would have seen the Rohirrim as, as being a class society. Right. You know, like mm. any other dark ages society. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. I know. I, I sort of just have the, the, um, uh, the um, Charlemagne's um, edict about, you know, if you own this much land and you have to show up with, you know, horse, lance, shield, this much more land, you got to add a, you know, a, a, a hauberk of, of armor to that. Right, right. You know, more land, you got to bring a guy on foot with you. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, as opposed to those Russian guys getting drafted right now, which is like, oh, please report right. tomorrow and buy your own equipment. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, yeah, that's sad. I, you know, and I, I as much of a human tragedy that is for the Russians, mm -hmm. I really feel sad for the Ukrainian Defense Forces members because they're they're going to have to massacre these guys mm -hmm. and it's, it's going to be brutalizing for them and, and soul crushing, but it's like, what do you do? You know, like we know what happens if we don't kill these guys. So yeah. we have to kill them, even though it's like really bad and they're just so easy to kill. I suspect there'll be a lot of uh, psyops and uh, you know, this is how you surrender. Yes. Yes, yeah. I, I, I heard a story about a, uh, a a tank crew that held out for sandwiches. <laughs> yeah. You know, the rest of their unit just surrendered. These guys held out until they're bribed with sandwiches. That is surrendering like a boss. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. you know, I got to hand it to those guys. I, I, I hope it was a good. I hope it was a good sandwich. You know, like a you know a nice meatball sub or a Reuben or something. Yeah, yeah. But probably not. I saw a video of one Russian soldier who was being, oh, there was a medic who was treating his uh, his arm for some wound while he somebody else was giving him a, a shawarma wrap. And nice. He was like, oh, this is so good. Anyway. Yeah, being, um, treated by, the, the, being treated better than my own army. Yeah, exactly. So d let's not go down that rabbit hole. No, 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 no. We're, we're gaming, not uh, politics. Yeah. But I... We were talking about Dragon Rampant, and you mentioned earlier uh, you had ordered um, Lion Rampant too. Have you had a chance to look at it? Yeah. Oh, I've run games with it. Oh, um, you know this is how this is how out of touch I am. So. Oh my God, are you not following my Twitter feed, young man? I do my best. Yeah. <sighs> I'm so disappointed in you. Yes. Um. I have. We have played several games here in the basement. O game. Basement. O rabbits. Yeah. Um. Let's see, Dan. Because uh, when I painted my my uh, A and A Middle Empire Romans, Dan Hutter was all like, "Oh, right, I got to bring right, my right. stuff over. I got to bring my stuff over, and we're gonna have a you, civil you war." And it's gonna Dark be Ages battle. Hmm. You had that Dark Ages battle, pagans and Christians or something. Uh, that was just last weekend. That was Thanksgiving Saturday. Right. Uh, Pete was available. Dan was available. Nice. Uh, You're getting the like, band back. Yeah, yeah, we're getting the band back together. Yeah. And Mike Barrett came over and like Pete said, Oh, should I bring my figures? And I was like, 
Well, yes, bring them. Oh, and they were Warhammer Ancients based, right, or something? Or yeah, yeah. He he, like Pete Pete Garnum. Hi, Pete. Hey, Pete. Know we know you're going to be listening. Um, he's got this. He put together, collected this enormous collection when he many years ago for Warhammer Ancient Battles for mm-hmm. like you know Arthurian British, um, influenced very strongly by the Bernard Cornwall novels. Right. Right which are actually really good um, and Saxons. Right. And he, but then, you know, like he kind of lost interest in Warhammer ancient battles because of, well, it's Warhammer ancient battles. It's very min maxi list buildy kind of game. Yeah. Yeah. So he brought all this stuff over and, you know, he initially thought, Oh, he's going to just add some, you know, add a contingent to Dan and mine, you know, and, and then, we just looked at all his stuff and said, let's just play with yours. Dan left his stuff in the box. I left my stuff on the shelf. We sorted out two, two huge armies. <laughs> uh, yeah, what was it? Nine. Each side had nine units of foot, two units of skirmishers, and two units of cavalry. Okay. And he, did, he left a bunch of cavalry in the box. Yeah. And um, do, do these figures go back to like the 90s or the early aughts? Yes. Wow. Yes. I've been, I've been admiring this. Like every time I've been to his place, I've, I've seen, you know, seen some of them on the shelf and I've admired them and wanted to play with them. And, you know, they're all very pretty. Um, but yeah, he's never actually, he never actually played with this collection before. Hmm. Hmm. So now his collection has been on the table and seen dice rolled in anger. Wow. So yeah, it was, it was a fun game. Um, it was kind of neat because we did the, uh, Arthurian British, uh, all as light infantry with javelins and shield wall, mm-hmm. and then the the Saxons were just warriors, so they had the uh, wild charge, right, right, and so that was kind of neat. I got my my half of the army. I got my shield walls formed, and I just waited for Dan to charge. Um, after he kind of got close, and I pelted him with javelins and abuse, he backed off. And then tried to charge again, and fortunately, I outrolled him in the combats, and he, you know, his guys started breaking. So it was a glorious victory for Christendom. Um, yeah, Arthur, Arthur and his warriors uh, defeated the pagans. It was great. Um, and let's see, we we also like as I was saying earlier, when I painted my Middle Empire Romans. Dan was like, oh, I got to bring my stuff over. We could have a civil war. It'll be great. You know, and your, your goths can be allies. And, you know, he's all very excited. And so finally, we managed to do that. When uh, second edition came out, he brought his stuff where we had a big game with Patrick and Mike. And I was victorious. Um, so, yay, me. I'm great. Bro. Yes. I, and uh, yes, I, but I, I fought to the last goth. My, my Romans were just kind of like, you know, moving forward. And then Mikey is on my flank with, with my goth slash Rohi Rim. Um, he's putting in charges. <laughs> he's just like, you know, going after. <laughs> he's beating the crap out of Dan. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, he had like one unit left. And I said, okay, just come over here and, you know, defend my flank while I beat up Patrick and he breaks and runs away. So it was great. And then I, I ran a uh, I ran a game at Kegscon. 
Oh, okay. Yeah. I want to come to KixCon in a minute, but what's different about line ramping too? Uh, well, it's very handy. Let me get the book. It's right here mm -hmm. because, you know, I've been looking at it a lot lately, so it's kind of out. It hasn't, it hasn't met my bookshelf yet. Oh, okay. um, they, they give a very nice appendix at the back for what's been changed. Um, yeah, the, the big thing is the old commander skill that you could buy or roll for, and would, it would give you a um, re-roll on your first failed activation. That is now free for all commanders. So that really changes the game. Um, there, and there's, there's some other stuff. Oh, and if you, if you have the wild charge and you fail it, you can do, you can try and do a move action. Okay. Uh, it's not a, well, you didn't do your wild charge. So you now you're stuck, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you can't try and charge again. You can't try and do an attack if you failed your wild charge, but you can try and move. Um, and then there's a lot of clarifications. Um, Pavases are added for you know more medieval cross crossbowy types, which really armor them up. Um, oh, and they've added um, shield wall rules and pike rules and uh, some experimental rules for like handgunner handgun arm skirmishers, mm -hmm. which are kind of. Eh. I just kind of I my Burgundian handgunners and my Swiss handgunners just use a skirmisher rule. I find it works better. Oh yes, you were painting up some um, some uh, you know late medieval guys for that too, weren't you? Yes, yes, yeah. I got all excited and some old glory uh, Swiss halberdiers. Well, they they were pikemen, but I bought some Perry halberds and turned them into halberdiers because I already had enough pikemen. Thank you. Everybody's saying, "Oh, Swiss, we need pikemen." It's like I want halberdiers. I need guys in armor with halberds. Mm -hmm. Those are really better for chopping up Burgundians. Do you remember about 20 years ago, we played a game where you had the Swiss and I had the Burgundians and you just, it just, it was like I was throwing we, myself into a wood chipper. Yeah. Were we using blood and chivalry? I, I can't remember. Honestly, I just remember. Cause yeah, I do. I do remember in my, you know, on my excitement about the Swiss um, that, you know, because there's always the there's always a problem. You know, when you get a cool army, you know, like that's really elite, is you wanted like you you start doubling up and stacking on their coolness. You know, yeah. like you see in Napoleonic warfare a lot too. Yeah, right? we're not only are the French soldiers just better. Yes, but their generals are better. Yes, you know, and it's like okay, which are which is it? You know, is it is it because of better leadership or is it because they're better trained? Right. So, right. you know, it's like I had, yeah, they had better morale and better combat. And yeah, and so they're just kind of a bit of a bulldozer and it was kind of horrible. And I'm sorry. It's okay. <laughs> In the game at CakesCon, they did not do as well. The uh, Burgundians being very shooty mm -hmm. shot. Yes. And so the, the Swiss attack kept breaking up and they couldn't. I mean, what they would push some stuff home and get a few hits in, but most of the time it just, you know, and the, the, the Swiss left wing, which was all their like warriors with halberds uh, who are very charged and pokey. Um, they were doing great until their, until their commander got killed in a combat mm. and that, that wing kind of fell apart and yeah. it was sad. So, 
Yeah. But it was fun. They, you know, I introduced five guys to second edition and then they had fun. And I, I finally lived, I, I fulfilled my um, 38 year old dream of fielding a large army of Swiss against a large army of Burgundians. So that was cool. No, I'm, I don't know how you're going to top that now. I know. I think I just should sell all my miniatures and I don't know, <laughs> learn to play the guitar. <laughs> just take up skydiving. Yeah. Yeah. Elizabeth will approve. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, every, uh, every elite army has to have a, an Achilles heel, right? Right. Yeah. And, and the Swiss are not very shooty. Right. Right. Well, like they're, they, they're all packed in densely. Yeah. And that, that is like, and you know, and, and he, he, he put the pike rules in because people asked for them. Right. As really pikes are out of this, like, you know, line rampant is supposed to be, you know, raids and skirmishes and, you know, little retinues of guys on the, you know, attacking the rival, you know, baron on mm -hmm. the other side of the hill or whatever. Right. Um, so, you know, big keels of pikemen, um, like at the Battle of Grandson or Nancy, that's that's not that that's outside of these rules. So it's like kind of yeah, yeah. You know, if you're gonna do Swiss and Burgundy, you should really just have a bunch of you know a a bunch of um, guys with crossbows and, and handguns and a mob of halberdiers. Yeah, and it's like okay, we're gonna go raid the Burgundian outpost, or we're gonna go you know right. ambush their baggage train or whatever. Right. Right. Yeah. Because I'm way over my skis on this one, but it seems to me that by the time you get to that sort of those final years of the Middle Ages, you're almost really anticipating the Thirty Years' War, aren't you? Um, you've got you know yeah. blocks blocks of pike. You've got lots of shooters. Yeah, you, everybody's dragging around uh, gunpowder artillery now. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's like it's it's actually getting mobile. Mm -hmm. You know, not you know. It's not the guard horse artillery, at, you know, yeah. Napoleonic Wars, but you know, it, um, I think it was Nancy, the Battle of Nancy. You know, the Swiss did drag some field guns up onto a hill and then start shooting to support the attack of the of the um, heels as they went screaming mm. down the valley and scaring the crap out of the Burgundians. Mm. Yeah, yeah, the Burgundians almost have to be given the fearful trait. Mm -hmm. so that minus one on all their courage tests, which might make them a little more brittle, mm. counteract their shootiness. So, because mm. that was that was always the problem was you know because they're at you know that they would yeah they would kind of stop the Swiss and things were looking good and then something would happen and their morale would crack like an egg, mm. and then next thing you know Charles the Bold is like going ah fuck. And they're abandoning yet another camp and yet more artillery. And then he falls and, you know, he gets stuck in the banks of a river and some nameless Swiss guy with a halberd kills him. Sucks. Sucks being you, Charles. Is that, is that maybe because... Sucks suck. Is it sucks to suck. Is that maybe because the Swiss, you know, uh, because of their canton system, they all know each other and they're all like, you know, neighbors fighting, each, fighting together? Or is it, is it more complicated than that? Could be. Um... I know nothing. I'm sure. I'm sure there's. I'm sure there's an essay to be written, mm -hmm. or already has been written about you know maybe the rise of national identity. Yeah. In the yeah. Swiss wars. Yeah. Um, Do you know who we should get on sometime to talk about 
this is uh, our our Irish friend Conrad Kinch. Oh, that'd be lovely. Who gave a paper this summer on national characteristics in wargaming, and yes, it, it was his uh, his example that. was the Spanish and the Peninsular War, right? Right. Right, but he 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 was talking about you know how you justify national characteristics and are they just a lazy way of writing writing rules? That that right there. We should get him on as a as a guest sometime. Yes, yeah. we should. Even with the five hour time difference, five hour time. To, we might we might have to wait for you know you know weekend in the winter when you know we don't don't have any yard work, and mm-hmm. yeah, we can get on like a Saturday Saturday or Sunday afternoon. Yeah, no, that would be an interesting topic. His evening. Yeah, that would be an interesting topic. And having heard him as a guest on uh, some Napoleonics podcast dedicated to wargaming, you know, it's just like, you just, you know, would you like to say something, Conrad? And then 30 minutes later, it's like, oh, look at that. We're out of time. Thanks, Conrad. <laughs> Guests like that are great. You wind them up with a couple of leading questions and let them go. And we're just like, uh-huh, uh-huh. Exactly. exactly. You know. Well, speaking of guests, uh, I may have said this earlier, we don't have any. No. And it's just not- the, this whole episode is the Canadian Content Corner, right? This is the Canadian Content Corner. And I wanted to talk a little bit about um, the hobby funk or the hobby mm-hmm. slump or whatever you want to call it. You've lost your mojo, baby. Well, yeah. And, you know, I, I so I have always been a little bit patronizing to people who have said, you know, on Twitter or whatever, oh, I've just lost my mojo. And I've always said, you know, just give it a day or so. And, you know, the sun will shine tomorrow and it'll be fine and pick up your paintbrush. And sometimes it is. Sometimes it is. Uh, in my case, some extenuating circumstances. Uh, some of you know that I started a new job in September and it required a move, which is complicated from the fact that it's, like I'm now living out of two houses, which is like, it's a total first world problem. Mm. So part of the week I live in my house in, you know, where I've lived for quite a while with my wife, Joy. And then I come uh, to this Victorian um, rectory right beside the church where I'm working in a town called Collingwood. And it's lovely. Um, but there's very little here. I've been, I brought some hobby projects and some paints, but I haven't really found I haven't really found a way to kind of, first of all, set them up in a way that's productive. And secondly, I just haven't had the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I've, I've been running like a fiend trying to get up to speed in terms of getting to know a new parish. And if you've ever watched like a Father Father Brown mystery or whatever, you know that, you know, parishes are full of weird people. And uh, you're trying don't, to... Don't you just spend all your time solving mysteries or, or, or putting hymnals back in the pews? That's, well, a priest, um, that's a priest in, in detective shows too. More the latter than the former. Um, you know, I haven't, uh, I haven't, and it's funny because I'm like literally like 20, maybe 200 yards from the police station, but I haven't actually knocked on the door of the police station and said, uh, do you have any crimes that I can help solve? <laughs> um, you know. Well, you know, you need, you need the long cassock and the big hat. Yeah, exactly. What I have learned. Ride your bicycle over. What I have learned, however, is that in a small town, everybody knows everybody. So Collingwood is about population 22,000, maybe doubles in the winter when the posh people from Toronto come to go live in their ski lodges and stuff. Right. Collingwood is big for skiing in the winter. It it's is. Not, it's not so big in the summer. 
No, not so big in the summer. I but there's beaches up there or something. Well, there's yeah, there's Georgian Bay and stuff, and there's there's lots of marinas and okay, lots of posh retirees live here. So you know the place is there's lots. It's almost like you need an Audi to live here. Right. Uh, so if they only put a fifty in the collection plate, you can look at them. And go really? Is that yeah. It? Exactly. Exactly. It's uh, Just, you know, shake it at them. Yeah. No, it's it's a it's a population with a, it's a congregation with a conscience. So today we did. Uh, um, one of our community meals where we, we basically gave 300 plus people a cooked dinner and we do that fairly often. That's a lot of work. There, there's, um, I, yeah. I mean, I guess probably, you know, outside of the, the rich people living, driving up the real estate costs in Collingwood, there's probably all kinds of people that aren't so rich. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Like there's a huge, um, sorry, we're way off war gaming now folks. Um, but I'm, I'm going to come to war gaming in a second. Um, okay. There is, um, yeah, there's like a lot of seniors homes in Collingwood and hmm. seniors homes need uh, basically working poor to staff them, right? So, yeah. you know, to PSWs and whatnot. So, yeah, there's a lot of that. Um, anyway, it, uh, that's all that to say that I have really kind of just fallen off track as far as working on projects or staying yeah, up. I mean, you're room. like, because you're, uh, you, you know, you have, a, you have a career and a vocation. I do not. No, no. Um, you know, so that it obviously takes priority, you know, and you know, new parish, you're learning a new community, you're learning new pastoral needs, you're learning about all the weirdos in your parish. <laughs> um, no, they're not weird, honest, you know, they're they are, weird, I'm sure. They are weirdos, they are weirdos, yeah, but lovably so. They are lovable weirdos, and you know, so that 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 that's a big time suck, yeah, yeah, you know, and it and it and it's a big. You know, you don't have any creative space left either in your head. No, that's true. About, you know, oh, how am I going to paint my, you know, Union infantry or? No. Right? I, I took a, a, I put a selfie on Twitter of my, my office in the church because I thought it was cute that the dog was looking out the window. And yes. uh, three people jumped on the fact, oh, my God, look, you've got Henry Hyde's Wargaming campaigns on your desk. You're obviously not working hard on your sermons. And I was like, <laughs> are you freaking kidding? put that book on my desk when I moved in and I haven't opened it since. Um, well, you know, um, I, I also have Henry. I'm not even, I'm maybe halfway through uh -huh. because it, it is such a dense tome. Yes. And it's a big book and it's heavy. Yes. Like it's not, um, you know, I've, I've, I've gone through like three books that I've packed in my lunch pail to read it, to read a break, even with, even with a lot of my lunches being, you know, totally blown away because of people talking inanities in the lunchroom. You know, so I don't have any quiet time. It was great today. It was quiet. I read mm. so much. Mm. Um, you know, I, I've gotten them read, but you know, war games campaign, like it's, I get, you know, I, I read like five pages before bed and then it's like, okay, I got to go to sleep now. Yeah. You know? yeah. Um, but it, it's a very dense book with lots of great ideas. I really want to start, you know, trying to figure out, you know, some kind of ladder campaign or, or narrative campaign for um, yeah. stuff, you know, these boxes of thing of little men behind me. Yes. And as we've said before, we're, we're not getting any younger and I've been doing like a funeral every week now. So since I got Ooh. here, I think a lot, uh, about, a lot about mortality. Um, yeah. That's a memento mori. Yeah. But on the upside, hey. uh, on the upside, there is an upside. Um, I live uh, now fairly close to a former guest on our show, Joe Saunders, ah! miniature landscape hobbies. Mm -hmm. 
and Joe grew up in uh, Collingwood and uh, we got together for about, we had about three hours in an afternoon. We played uh, a game of LaSalle Oh, and um, Joe had only played uh, Black Powder and 20 yeah. years, so he was very interested in and very impressed by a small scale game at kind of division level. I know I was talking to uh, another guest of ours, uh, Jim Ozarski, mm -hmm. and he said, yeah, I've given up on LaSalle because it doesn't allow me to fight the big battles that I want to fight, which is fair. You know, mm -hmm. LaSalle and uh, General d'Armée are probably work best at maybe a couple of divisions max. On the yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, it would be very, it'd be very dense trying to yeah. do multiple cores, I think, unless you had, I mean, you know, these people that have, that are lucky enough to have a dedicated club. Mm -hmm. you know, there's like eight guys and they all have troops and they all know the period and they all know the rules, you know, so you're not constantly yelling at the guy who's forgetting the rules in the corner. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, and then you can do neat stuff, right? You can do, you know, you can take, you know, General Darmy and have multiple cores running around on a big table or multiple tables or whatever. Yes. Um, yeah. But most of us don't have that. So, ooh. no, that's true. That's you know, like, God, to, to be with Tom Thomas out in BC and his bunch, oh, but they're yeah. massive Shaco games. Oh, and oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, like and all super knowledgeable. Yeah, yeah, like I would just, I, I, you know, and my troop, I'm, I'm pretty sure my figures are based appropriately. I, oh. I bet they would fit right in. I'm sure they would. Yeah. You know? yeah. So, you know, I, I could just go to White Rock and play Shaco with them, and it's your next holiday for sure. With uh, all my figures, <laughs> just, just you a bit of carry, just a bit of carry on. It's okay. You wouldn't need to take any figures. Do you remember when Tom was on the show? He said, "Yeah, well, yeah, this, <laughs> you wouldn't need to bring figures with me." I've got a hundred thousand figures. Yeah, it's it's when I win the Lotto Max and I move to White Rock. There you go. It's White Rock. It's a lovely part of the world. Mm -hmm. Um, so Joe, Joe and I have been talking about how how you start building a games club, and we haven't really had more than one discussion over lunch. But and uh, so if you're listening out there in Radio Land and you live near Collingwood or in Wasega Beach or Meaford or Thornbury, anywhere up on South Georgian Bay, um, shoot me an email. But Joe was going through the people he knows in his head and they were, you know, some of them are, are, are what you might call Gronyards and a lot of them are guys who used to play um, um, uh, 40K with him back in his GW days. But if you remember Joe, starts getting twitchy when he talks about GW. He, uh, it's not a happy memory for him. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, you know, there's the possibility of that down the road, but I can, that's the closest that I've come to having a, an actual uh, Wargaming Day in the last six weeks to two months. I was going to go to Toronto in late August to play uh, in one of Glenn Pierce's big Napoleonic games mm -hmm. um, with his uh, chosen men, as he calls them. But then I got COVID and covid ruins everything covid ruins everything i was feeling well but i was testing positive for four days and i just couldn't i didn't didn't want to do it so yeah. um what i have done in the last six months i've in the last six weeks i've painted a handful of figures but i don't seem to be painting them well enough like my brush skill seems to have suffered hmm. and i'm just maybe i'm just looking at them too hard and thinking you know i stop 
trying to do the Kevin Dallimore, you know, three tone war games foundry painting stuff, just freaking paint them. That's right. Do the Ken Riley. That's right. Don't stop fucking about and paint it. There you go. Exactly. Um, and uh, I have, you know, I'm sort of thinking about what am I going to put in the queue next? I have, um, I did back the Tundra Miniatures Kickstarter mm-hmm. uh, for their 15 mil. Well, it's more, as remember, um, 18, uh, whatever. Sort of 18 mil, yeah. They're, they're, they're heroic 15s. Heroic 15s is how they were described to us. Um, so, yeah, I'm waiting to see when that'll happen, but I'll be getting a Russian army. And then I, I just as fate would have it, uh, Henry Turner, who does, um, you know, a massive amount of STL stuff, was looking for people who wanted to paint figures for him before his Seven Years War Kickstarter. So I put my hand up and said, yeah, I'll paint some. And I managed to print and paint uh, a handful of his Prussian figures just in six mil, although I did print some in 18 mil. And I haven't had time to, um, haven't had time to paint them. But I'm kind of thinking if I back that, then with the, you know, the stuff I get from Tundra Miniatures, I have 18 mil in small scale, or I have seven years war in small scale, but Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's about it that's about all i've done uh well, I have... you know like but you've been busy otherwise so yeah. like the fact that you fit some in is is cool yeah and you know once you get your once you get the hang of the parish um you know yeah. you'll, you'll get some more free time yeah i'm not despairing and i i have actually dropped hints to some people that uh you know this is what i do and some of the there's a lot of older guys in the congregation i'm like oh that sounds cool i'd love to see a little men so we'll see hey. Yeah, I wouldn't. Is it a funk? Like it's not a funk in the sense that I'm. It's a mental health crisis. I feel like generally really, really happy about what I'm doing. But there are days when I just, I just find, you know, like it's nine o'clock, nine thirty at night, and I think I haven't done any hobby stuff today, and I think I'm just so tired. Um, It's okay to be tired. Um, Yeah, because yeah, like you know, with this new job, it's taking up a lot of your imaginative. Um, imaginative and creative power mm-hmm. right so it's, it's kind of tiring and yeah maybe you just need to watch some brainless tv I uh I, I so, so you're you, i would say it's it's not yeah. you're not hobbying because you're in a funk i think you're fun you're in a funk because you aren't hobbying that's exactly a good way of putting it that's that's right. how, it's a good reframing i have been doing some reading and um good i just read a book that i think you really you may know about it already um, but it really ties into your interest in the war in the Pacific. Uh, James Hornfisher's Last Stand of the Tin Can Sailors. Hmm. So this was that battle. Um, it was part of the Battle of Leyte Gulf where the Japanese took what was left of their Navy and tried to interdict the American invasion of the Philippines. Right. And they had uh, their, it was an incredibly complicated plan. They divided their. As all Japanese naval plans were. As, exactly, and pretty much doomed to failure. Oh so they, God. they took what was left of their carriers, which were mostly, you know, bereft of aircraft, and sort of sent them by the north. And um, that was to pull Halsey's carrier fleet away, which, yeah. which worked. And then they had two surface uh, uh, groups. The southern surface group was mostly older battleships, and they ran into... Um, 
an American battle fleet, uh, which just annihilated them. Mm. And uh, but the middle, the middle task force, Cape Esperance. Uh, maybe I don't have the book in front of me, mm. but they basically ran into about eight or nine American battleships, which were it was a night battle fought with all of the American advantages by radar. So mm. the Japanese were coming through a very narrow pass. Uh, very narrow passage. They they got attacked by PT boats. Then they got attacked by uh, destroyers, and then the American battleships were just like going in the, in a, in loops, blocking the exit to the strait, and just demolished them with uh, yeah radar directed fire. So that was the 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 southern part. The middle part, uh, the Japanese Admiral Kurita had the cream of the Japanese Navy. So the the um, the two super battleships, the Amato and the Musahai, I think. So how do you pronounce it? Musashi. Musashi. And then the Congo and a, a couple of other big battleships. And then yeah, and the, the Musashi died hard. Like the number yeah. of hits, a number of hits that the uh, American airstrikes put on it. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh my God, like any other ship would be broken in half long before. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it was it was taken out of the by air power, but the rest of the surface fleet basically breaks through and they they find uh, um, uh, a task force called Taffy 3, which are um, basically uh -huh. Jeep carriers. Yeah, was it three three Jeep carriers? Or was it nine? Six. Six, yeah. With a, with a very small escort and... Um, yeah, they, destroyers, destroyer escorts. Yeah, and uh, so the Americans um, uh, figured, well, we're dead. So yeah. they're, they're frantically trying to radio for reinforcements. And in the meantime, they do two things. They the the destroyers and the destroyer escorts just attack, and mm -hmm. they attack in an absolutely, you know, suicidal manner. But their their gunnery is incredibly fast and accurate. So by the time they get within five inch range, they're plastering the the, the Japanese superstructures with five inch shells, and they're they're steering you know for the splashes right. So that they're you know they're going into where the the last shell hit, knowing the Japanese are going to correct. So, ooh, that's smart. They get into torpedo range and uh, they they inflict some serious damage before I think three or four of the American destroyers are are obliterated. Yeah. And in the meantime, the 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 ships, the the ask, the jeep carriers, who a lot of their aircraft are equipped for you know like with rockets and bombs to attack ground targets. Yeah, they all just take off with whatever they have, and then and they just harass the Japanese. So they're like, you know, you have Avengers doing um, dummy runs, you know, like yeah. they don't have torpedoes, but they're pretending, hey, I've got a torpedo, I'm doing a dummy run. The Japanese don't know any better, uh, so they're swerving to avoid, you know, these torpedoes, which may or may not exist. Mm -hmm. They're raking the, you know, you got Wildcats raking the ships with uh, 50 cal, and um, you know. Guys like just dropping any personnel bombs on on ships, and also, but that 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 will mess up your deck crew. Absolutely, press yeah. your anti aircraft fire. Yeah, and it all works to uh, deter the Japanese. And, and this is the other part of the amazing part of the book is that the, it's a total illustration of fog of war. Mm -hmm. For a long time, the Japanese think that they're attacking like you know um, uh, first class aircraft carriers, right? Yeah. They don't realize that these are jeep carriers, and uh, um, and they're not communicating very well. So they're you know like they could have they could theoretically have just absolutely obliterated the Americans, but they don't because they 
they're not sure what they're up against. They're uncertain. And, um, you know, they're, yeah, and, they're, and, and when push came to shove, Japanese naval commanders were incredibly cautious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like they were very, very much quick to go, hmm, stuff yeah. going not according to plan. I'm going yeah. to withdraw now. Yeah. And they, so, don't, they don't have a lot of fuel. Karita has yeah. lost super battleships. He's mentally and physically exhausted from, you know, three or four days of this, you know, pursuit and then getting his. Yeah, being yeah. under air attack from the from Halsey's carrier force. Yeah, yeah. Who have now fucked off. He yeah. doesn't realize that. Yeah. So yeah, if anybody's out there looking for uh, an epic read, I would, the last stand of the tin can. And, and that yeah, and that is um, was, was a neat discussion on the um, naval wargaming Facebook group talking about you know the one one guy put up a post where yeah the the the, the biggest problem with naval wargaming is there isn't any fog of war yeah yeah so it's all very much driven by tech you know the games are very much driven by technology mm-hmm. and you know, guns versus armor you know and and you know where everything is and you know what everything is um yeah so like you know so trying to play like you know the the battles that kind of piqued my imagination around Guadalcanal where they didn't know what the fuck was going on mm-hmm absolutely yeah. you know like the the first naval battle of guadalcanal where the the two squadrons are basically sailing through each other before they realize what was going on and open fire you know japanese light cruiser firing torpedoes so close the warheads don't have a chance to arm yes yeah you know like that is crazy like the um you know in the second battle of guadalcanal where it was the Washington and South Dakota in a night battle against the Congo and the um, Hisei, I think. Mm-hmm. These big, big, scary battle cruiser battleship things. And, you know, the, the they're so close and the gunnery officer is like, you know, or the radar guy is like calling in the range and the, you know, corrections and stuff. And the gunnery officer just says, we can't shoot any we, we can't shorten the range anymore. Like we were at point blank range with 16 inch guns. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, ow, yeah. that is going to mess up your day being hit with nine 16 inch shells. And it, what well, did, you know, um, yeah. the Japanese lost a major surface unit. So, oops. Yeah. There so, are, there are passages in this book about being on a destroyer, getting hit by a, um, you know, a battleship shell, and it's just—it's absolutely horrific. It's amazing these. Oh, you're, yeah, your your work day, your 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 day's done. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. The other book I read that I would totally recommend, if um, to any of our listeners who are looking for a, a book recommendation, uh, James Holland's book *Brothers in Arms*, which is a history of the uh, Sherwood uh, Rangers Yeomanry, a British tank unit in Northwest Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, absolutely uh, amazing book. It goes from Normandy to the end of the war, and uh, um, it's like a it's a very very I would say it's a top notch exploration of how an armored unit fought, um, mm. Allied army unit fought, and uh, lots of inspiration there for you know um, O group or chain of command battles. Mm. Yeah, so I'm we- currently reading uh, Grouchy's Waterloo. The Battles of Linji and Wavre. Oh yeah, 
which I'm finding really interesting. Uh, first, I just finished the the, the chapters about the bat the lead up to the Battle of Lingi, Lingi, Ligni, whatever. Um, and it's the first de- it's the first detailed account of the battle of, I've managed to read because everything else, you know, I when as a kid growing up, you know, school library, public library. Oh, Napoleonic Wars, because I've got all these airfix figures. These are cool. Y'all, all that you found is, you know, Lives of Napoleon, Wellington, the Waterloo campaign, which is basically Quattro Bras and Waterloo, and that's it, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, and the Prussians got beaten over here. Um, so kind of neat learning about this whole eastern wing of the campaign, right? And, you know, why Derlon basically got hung up on the road and did nothing in either battle. Um, you know, so it, it's, it's proving interesting. Well, who's the author? I don't know. It's upstairs. Okay. All right. So the title is, again, Grushi's Waterloo. Yes. And, and before that, I read Carpenter's biography of J.R. Tolkien. Oh, okay. Fascinating. I've been I've been trying to get a hold of it for years, yeah. Um, and I finally found a nice used paperback on Amazon for like ten bucks. Okay. And yeah, just it's really neat. You know, all the bit where it's, oh, this this little idea was where he got, you know, this thing was where he got that idea in the book, in the stories, and you know, this word, and and because he's, you know, Tolkien's a linguist and a poet. Yes. Um. And, you know, he, he comes up with a word or he encounters a word and goes, that sounds really neat. Mm-hmm. Why would that word be the way it is? Or, or you know, let's, let's write a story around that word and how that word becomes, you know. Mm-hmm. Right? Like when, when he wrote, in a hole in the ground lived a hobbit, he didn't know what a hobbit was. He just thought it was a neat sounding word that he had made up. <clears throat> And he had to write the whole story to explore what a hobbit is. Mm-hmm. And to do it for, I think, his nephew, wasn't it? Ah, his children. His children, right, right. Yeah, yeah. 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 And, uh, Waterloo, The Battles of Linnea and Wavre by Andrew Field. That sounds right. Yeah, yeah. That looks, that looks from sword books, yeah. It's a good so, read. Um, yeah, like, you know, in the those um, seven degrees of separation or whatever, my wife, Joy had a high school English teacher who in her youth, she was like a middle-aged lady when she knew she was Joy's teacher in the 1970s. But in her youth, she studied uh, at Oxford with Tolkien when Tolkien was quite elderly. Wow. And her description of Tolkien from what Joy can remember is not super complimentary. He was daughtery and you know kind he, of absent-minded and yeah he he he's very much the the stereotypical um, Oxbridge professor yeah yeah like like the tweed the pipe the mm-hmm. eccentricities you know the massive brain filled with really obscure knowledge yes yeah um yeah like he's a walking caricature mm-hmm. which is why you know in the Tolkien biopic. You know, they're trying to sex up the, you know, life story of a guy who's, he's like, really, he's kind of boring and suburban. Mm-hmm. Like, 
all the excitement is going on between his ears. Yeah. Right. You know, otherwise it's just, you know, if you live, if you live beside the Tolkien's, it was like, Oh, you know, there's, you know, there, there's, there's John and, and, and Edith and, um, you know, they're a nice couple. They're quiet. Uh, you know, he's out working, you know, working on the roses and he rides his bike to, to the university and that's great. You know, and Edith's kind of shy, mm-hmm. you know, um, they're just this quiet couple. Um, yeah. yeah. And it's remarkable how he becomes a, um, uh, a hero of the counterculture, right? The flower. Power. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, because he was like, he, he, even though he was, you know, archly conservative, mm-hmm. you know, voted Tory, um, you know, he's a monarchist just out of habit. Yeah. Even though he, he admitted that philosophically he was an anarchist mm-hmm. because he kind of thought the worst job you could have was to be a boss. Yes. You know, when he was a lieutenant in the army, he realized he was shit at telling people what to do. <laughs> and he hated it yeah um you know which which is you know big theme in lord of the rings right that's sauron's whole thing is he wants control and dominance yeah yeah you know and, that that is the the root of all his evil yeah and frodo doesn't want to be in charge of anything yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um so uh but yeah he he like you know uh, it talks about um, in the book, it talks about, you know, they, they finally had enough money where they could have a car. You know, it was little tiny, um, you know, one of these little tiny British compact cars. And I guess he was a he was a mad driver. <laughs> but then when when World War Two came along and gasoline rationing, they got rid of the car. And actually, they, this was their second car. But they got rid of it because of gasoline rationing. He went back to riding his bike, and then with the war and seeing the countryside being paved over, mm-hmm. and you know all these airstrips for bombers and stuff being you know paving over the countryside um, and scarring the ground, he just like, no, I'm not getting a car <laughs> because cars are just gonna they're they're damaging the world. They're damaging the environment, and which was really forward thinking of him. Yes, yeah. You know, this is like 1945. He's like 30 years ahead of everybody. You know, because because he was like he, he was a conservationist. Mm-hmm. He loved trees. Like he was just a weird. He's just this weird dude who, who really liked trees. And you know, when I I look at trees, I go, yeah, he's right. Trees are pretty freaking cool. Absolutely, yeah. Like when you you know like. Uh, Elizabeth and I like to watch Gardener's World when they have an article, you know, when they have a little piece on trees, it's like, you know, when they get into, oh, this is how they interact underground with fungus and, you know, form these communities and stuff. And it's like, that's really kind of freaky and cool. And like, you know, when's Fanghorn going to come out and like shake his branches at us about being bad trees, Mm, you know? Yeah. Um, Yeah. So that you know very much appealed to the hippies of the 60s right who were starting to also see all this happening yeah you know so yeah and he he was surprised by it he did not he did not get being he, he did not get being famous he was totally sort of what the hell you know and he, like people would you know people would come and knock on the door and want to talk to him and of course he because he's very polite and british 
Yeah. You would talk to them for a bit and then, you know, come up with an excuse to get, you know, to get rid of them and, sh- and shovel them out the door. Yeah. It's funny because uh, his, his friend C.S. Lewis, who was much more successful as, mm-hmm. you know, as a public intellectual, as a, you know, he had BBC lectures. He, you know, was probably more commercially successful in his. Yes. Because he, Lewis could actually get shit done. Yeah. Yeah. But, Tolkien, Tolkien was a perfectionist. Yeah. But I think, you know, Tolkien today is probably 10 times more famous. Yeah. Um, yeah. In fact, I was really depressed the other day. <laughs> Somebody had a list of banned books. And one of them was the uh, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. It was like these are books that are banned by like right wing American idiots who take over school boards. How how what what the hell is wrong with Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? Too violent. Too violent. Too violent. Yeah, that was the oh. I think that was the complaint. And it oh. may be something about unrealistic talking animals. I think that was part of it too. Well, I mean, you know, these lists of banned books. It, it's you know, you get on the list because somebody somewhere has had an issue with the book and wanted to get it banned, you know, yeah. whether it's been successfully banned or not is, you know, yeah. it depends on how they're compiling the list too, but still line the witch in order. God. It's true. Yeah. I mean, you know, like it, like that book was, you know, very well written. I mean, like the, the line um, where, you know, they're, they're talking to their, talking to the beavers. And, you know, Mrs. Beaver says it's always winter, but never Christmas. Mm. It's like, wow, that is so bleak. Mm -hmm. Always winter, but never Christmas. It's like, like, dude, that is such a well-composed line. You know, like (laughs) like just the the emotional punch of that. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. You know, which is his genius as a writer. Whereas Tolkien would have had a character say that in about three paragraphs. No! Tolkien would have had somebody deliver a line with that kind of punch too. No, it would, it would, it would something different. It would have been wrapped in a lot of word hoard stuff. No, not really. Yes, it would I mean, you know, let, let, go back and read, you know, Aragorn's exchanges with Eowyn, and oh. Eowyn talking about her despair. All right, right. A lot of that is very punchy. Okay. All right, I'll do my homework. Oh, and in and in this when you read the Silmarillion, because you found it in your box of books, yeah. read it. There will be bits where you come across and you know just a nice little line, you know, very well written line or two, and it'll be like, wow, you know, someone, you know, a lesser writer would have took took it, take those two lines and turned it into a trilogy. Right. But he's just, you know put all that epic sweep and scope very succinctly onto the page and left it to your imagination. Right. It's like, it, it, it it's like um, cheesecake photography. Right. My, my, my stepfather was an amateur, was an amateur photographer, liked to do girly pictures. And he always said, it's what should, it's what you conceal, not what you reveal. Right. You hint at it. Right, little shadow, little bit of shape. You know, you don't. You know, you hint at the curves and 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 the femininity. You don't just show it all, like Penthouse magazine. Right. Hmm. 
right? So you 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 hint at the you hint at the scope and the the epic sweep of the story and all the things happening beyond the margins of the main the main thread, right? Yeah. Yeah. So people go, wow, that's cool. You know, let's write some fan fiction in that. And then it's like, great, cool. Do a TV series in that bit over there. Leave Galadriel and Gil Galad out of it, please. <laughs> well, we're coming back to where we started. Gil Galad and his, I guess, second age was age, was age of the mullets. <laughs> right? Elrond and Gil Galad's hair. It's like, what the hell, man? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, oh. Yeah, Elrond seems like he stepped out of some smarmy British, like, uh, office drama or whatever yeah. anyway and why are the dwarves always comic opera scotsmen yes yeah that's true anyway well we're coming back to where we started which is probably, <laughs> probably it's uh, it's just an itch and i'm trying not to scratch it sorry fine. folks you're doing fine um for our canadian reader listeners uh hopefully that's most of you october 22nd is uh lard game day three in hamilton are you going yes. I am hoping to attend. Uh, I've told them I will run a game. And if I arrive early enough, I will run two games. Okay. Which ones will they be? Um, Bag the Hun. Okay. And basically it's going to be the same scenario, except I'm going to switch sides. It will be a destroyer crippled in a skirmish in the slot. And a strike force has been sent out to finish it off. And other planes have been scrambled to protect it. In one game, it would be an American destroyer defended by Hellcats versus Bettys and Vels and Kates. Um, and in the other game, it will be a Japanese destroyer defended by Zeros being attacked by my Dauntless and Avengers. Hmm. So, just because Bet, I first I was going to do you know Americans attacking my Japanese destroyer. Uh, well, Bettys also Bettys explode really neat, really niftily, so that's kind of fun. Big balls of flame. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you know. They're, they're like the they're, tie they're, they're big and they're green and twin engine. Yeah. It's like ooh. They're like the TIE fighters of the Pacific War. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Chris uh, wrote to a, uh, his latest email, which just came out this evening. It says oh. there will be five games running in two time slots. Uh, I'll put the link to the website uh, when I put the show notes up. But I think if you... He says it's been up on Facebook for a bit, so if you know where the lard is, uh, or I think it's the, it's the frozen lard, frozen lard site. Yeah, the frozen lard site on Facebook has all that. Yeah, uh, Crucible Crush is going to be back, and Red Goblin Printing, which is a new supporter. So mm. I'm not sure yet whether I'll be able to make it down. I'm I'm probably not going to be able to, but I look forward to hearing about it. Uh, we yeah. never did talk about KegsCon. Did you? Can you? Do you want to wrap up with a quick description of KegsCon? You were. There. Um, it was a fun day. I mean, the it's held in the Retro Suites uh, Hotel, which is a charming boutique hotel. Right. Um, you know, Elizabeth always comes, and she just enjoys the hotel room, and we have a couple of good meals out. Um, I had a fabulous dinner at this Portuguese restaurant called Churrascura, mm-hmm. um, which is great. It was a nice meal, except I was burned out from the night before. We'd had a little social in um, in, in uh, Paul and Joe and Dave's room. They're doing a whiskey tasting, and there's a game of, of uh, Battle of Britain going on, and I stayed up too late. Um, but anyway, 
about 50 players in 16 games. Uh, in the morning, I played sharp practice. Um, our Roger Chrysler. We, have we had him on yet? We should have him on. We uh, going to have him on. Yes, he he is on the list of games. Uh, sorry, yes, that I. Um, yeah, this is yeah because I, I played his um, Dawn Attack at Frenchtown scenario War mm -hmm. of eighteen twelve last Larday, and that was fun. And then at KegsCon, I played the Battle of Cook's Mill, which apparently was the last engagement in Niagara Peninsula in the war. Oh, yes, the the Americans were pushing had thrown a bridge across at Cook's Mill. And we're trying to outflank the British position at Chippewa or Stony Creek or mm -hmm. something like that. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, the British scrambled up to, to stop them. And um, uh, Andreas, a War of eighteen twelve reenactor, um, so he knew the tactics, not the rules, <laughs> which was handy. And I, we managed to successfully uh, stay. Um, stop the uh, American advance. Mm. We contained their bridgehead. So, yay, Canada. Excellent. That's right. It was fun. And then I ran my, my Swiss and Burgundian game. Well, so. Yeah, I would have liked to have been there. I, I saw the pictures of the, the scotch tasting and I thought, oh, scotch tasting, wargaming, yummy. Yeah, I, I, I learned during the scotch taste, whiskey tasting that I don't like whiskey. Mm -hmm. it tastes like turpentine yeah um joy would say uh it tastes like old socks um that's um that's being generous yeah yeah i think i tasted i i tasted better when drinking my paint water <laughs> you know um yeah i so. once had a bunch of um canadian forces chaplain colleagues over to my house and uh we we, we got to drinking of course and they told me, uh, these two Jewish rabbis, who are both quite orthodox, told me that uh, single malt scotch, or scotch is kosher, and that uh, the more expensive the single malt, the more kosher it is. So. Oh, because adding dirt to your whiskey is I guess they, I guess they would say dirt is part of God's good creation. So, yeah. So is pork. So is pork. Well, uh, I suppose, yeah. Yeah. Although hey, there is kosher, there is kosher lamb, bacon. Huh. Okay. It's it it. Mary Berry says it tastes just like bacon. If she didn't know it was made out of lamb, she wouldn't have guessed. I think my dog just woke up and he heard the word bacon. So. <laughs> so the next time we get uh, we get together again, we will have uh, we'll have a guest. I don't know if it'll be Roger Chrysler or some other people. James is going to show off his little. Yes, I, I assembled this while waiting for you to get online. Is it a birdhouse? It looks like a birdhouse. Okay. I'm oh, gonna... no. It is my South German church from Sarissa. Ooh. Is that from their Napoleonic Prussia range? That's war bases you're thinking of. Oh, war bases. Sarissa. So this is their. Um... Oh, it's a wee little church. It is. It, actually, this is the, I, I got the 20 millimeter one and saved myself like seven pounds. Okay. Off the price. 
Yeah. Um, and you know, smaller footprint and look at the size of that door. Yeah. Right. Let me, let me get a, a Napoleonic figure. Okay. Cause there's one right here. Honest. Okay. Somewhere. I have no doubt. I have no doubt. There are many. I know you can't hear me. Oh yeah. Here we go. Okay. So here's, here's a, here's a 28 millimeter, you know, Perry, Perry, um, Jaeger. Yeah. He doesn't look that bad. I mean, he, yeah, he's a little big. Yeah. He'd have to duck to get inside, but that's, but okay. you know, it's not that bad. And I also got in the same shipment. I, I think I might replace this dome with, um, you know, like a drawer pole or some, a drawer knob or something. Cause that just kind of that, or I'm going to have to, uh, you know, podge the shit out of it. So how did they give you a, a that's, that's just all, that's just all layers of. MDF. Oh, I see. I see. Okay. Huh. You just stack it up very carefully. It looks. Yeah. I, I, now that you told me that I'm not happy with it, but it did. Yeah. Look, but I mean, it, yeah, I mean, for like 20 millimeter. Yeah. You're right. The footprints wargaming's table size, right? Yeah. And, and I sort of like, yeah. Okay. The door is a little small for the guy, but. Eh. Yeah. Um, and then I also got this. Oh, I th okay. That's what you that's what you showed on Twitter. I thought that's what you had built there. Oh no, no, this is a Russian church. Russian church, right? Okay, yes. To go, you know, to go with my Russian buildings, which I realized. Um, oh, and there's the door. Okay. Yeah, he's he actually that door is much more. I mean, yeah, a little small for a church, but no, is that twenty mil as well? Yes. Okay. Again, it saved me about seven pounds off the price. Wow. And saved me on footprint on the table too. Yeah, so. I have all of the war bases, Napoleonic Prussian buildings. Yes, yeah. they're they're lovely. They are, yeah. but they're darn big. Yeah. Yeah. And like I kind of realized when you know when I, I used my um the Russian village I'd made for like 15 mil Eastern Front mm -hmm. and I put it out for that Napoleonic game uh last summer. Right. I played some sharp practice when I got my first bunch of Bavarians done. Mm -hmm. And I realized that, you know, like, because when I built it, you know, I was trying to make it so that these flames of war bases would fit inside and everything. And it got kind of big and the doors are kind of big. And they're really like, it's, they're more scaled to 20 mil. And I realized when playing the game, it's like, okay, the fact that the doors are a little small for these 28 millimeter figures, it didn't really bother me. Mm -hmm. You know, and they they worked nice with the game, and they they looked okay. Um, so I thought, well, let's take a punt and try some twenty mil churches. You know, so I got a nice little village chapel there, because um, you know these south a lot of these South German churches were incredibly tiny anyway, right? And it's like, how did you have mass in this? Well, we only get six people show up, so who cares? <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. You know, and then the priest wanders around and sees who's got a good lunch going and knocks on the door. That's what I do. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Um, so I figured, well, let's let's try that because the, the Russian church in 28 mil is just huge. Mm -hmm. you know, let's save some money, save some footprint. And, you know, Hans and Franz can, can uh, attack it or hide in it or burn it or whatever they're going to do. Loot it. Yeah, exactly. Huh. Um, awkward pause. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
this is me realizing that we've we've been nattering for uh, one and three quarter hours. Well, you know, we've had a good nat. We haven't had a good natter in a while. We haven't had a good natter. We've had some interesting guests, and they've kind of taken up all the airtime, and we just haven't been able to have a chinwag. Exactly, it's been absolutely grand catching up with you, my friend. Yes, and get do some hob like do even if you do like five, you know, fifteen minutes before you go to bed, right? Just yeah. put some paint on a figure, right? Get it done. All Amazing right. how that adds up. Good advice. All right, so it's good night for me. And good night for me. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Take care. We'll talk to you soon. Good day, eh? Good day, eh?